Welcome back to the Grogan and Brogan podcast. Uh, this is episode six we're on now. I yeah, think. episode six. Uh, we actually have a special guest today. Finally, we've been teasing it for a while now, and uh, today's the day. So today is a landmark day. We have uh, Brian Foley on with us. Um, some of you might know him. Some of you mightn't. Uh, father of Becky Foley in our year. Uh, we decided he'd be a great guest for the podcast. Actually, um, actually, I let Brian. Brian, uh. How are you, first of all? I'm very good, thank you. Good stuff. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what you do and what, what your job is? Okay, so I, I manage a drug and alcohol service in Ballymun. And I manage the workers that deliver uh, interventions to people who are experiencing problems with drugs or alcohol and their family members. And uh, I also work in, in Mountjoy Prison, providing... Uh, one-to-one visits for prisoners who are looking to make changes while in prison or get support while in prison around pre and uh, pre and post-release choices they'll have and I supervise a number of different workers um, around their their, their practice in, in dealing with people and that practice can be around some of the the practical help they do but also the, the counseling styles they're using the interventions they're using and how they're getting on. And then I train people in a number of different counseling approaches. So that's my kind of work. Can I also say I'm delighted to be on the show. I listened to you guys. Becky introduced me to you, and I think it's a I think it's a great thing that you're doing and I admire you for, for getting involved in this and taking the gamble and jumping into it with two feet. Thanks a million, Brian. Yeah, thank, thanks very much, Brian. It really does mean a lot because we, we kind of started this off as just for a bit of crack, because me and Brogan have similar interests in a lot of things. But then we started to get a lot of really good feedback, which we weren't expecting. So to see, to, to have someone coming from outside our circle to say that they're really enjoying it, it really does mean a lot. I think it's a great medium, the podcast at the moment. So again, at your age, I admire you jumping in and, and taking the gamble of doing it and putting yourselves out there. Thanks, bro. Thank you very much. It means a lot. Thanks very much. So back to the back to the case on hand. Would you? Uh, I suppose it, it does kind of depend on the people you're you're the the, the different people. But w- would you describe your job as a difficult job? Uh, a lot of people would describe it as a challenging job. Um, I I enjoy. It. I get a lot of I get a lot of payback. I guess doing it. Um, there's a there's a lot to be gained from seeing people who've been struggling with change be successful or manage to. Um, lead a life that's less less traumatic or a life that's less painful on them really. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of reward in that. There can be a lot of frustration with it too. It's not easy for people to change in the real world. Um, a lot of people's childhood can be playing a part in what they in what they do now. The behaviour they use like drugs or alcohol, which helps them in a way also pushes them further away from people, family members, pushes them more into criminology or crime, pushes them closer to prison, um, pushes them away from the people that love them. So it's a real difficult situation for the person who is looking to change. If they Mm. end up in the homeless sector, the hostel services can be very tough to survive in. It can be very dangerous, um, fearful, threatening place to be in. Again, drugs will help you to sleep, drugs will help you pass the time. Alcohol, same thing, help you pass the time, give you something to do, give you people to talk to, 
help your confidence if you feel pretty low about yourself. So the drugs in a way kind of help them and in another way they're, they're damaging them big time. I was just thinking there, like, uh, do you think that people's background of like where they come from, now you don't have to, if you don't want to answer any of these, you don't have to, Brian. But uh, do you think like people's background, do you think that has a big impact on them offending in the future? Offending in terms of crime? Uh, yeah. Um, not necessarily. I think I guess I suppose it's important to differentiate what type of crime we're talking about because there's lots of acts that people do that are against the law. So I don't think it's necessarily particularly where you're from, but in, it's definitely a factor. There are many factors and where you're from, where you grow up is a factor. Um, it plays an influence in your life. In terms of where I walked Ballymun, I was in Trinity yesterday doing something, I was talking to some of the staff in there about it. Like there was a time in Ballymun, I think five people went to college one year. So the statistics for people from certain areas going to college was really low. Um, and ourselves as an organisation, along with some other organisations in Ballymun, had to work hard to try to increase that number because it, it, it's not good. If there's only a small number of people going to college, they become the they become the the oddity, they become the unusual, and it doesn't become the norm then for other people. So we needed to break that. Um, we needed to break that attitude, that mentality, and begin to get more people to go to third level, because that's better for a community. It's much better for a community if there's more people going to college, more people getting third level education, more people getting good jobs. It's better for the young people to see that around them. Like. I, I hang around in Ballymun and my dad's from Poppentry and as you said there, you said only what, three, three well, people went a, to college in one year? Ago, yeah, five, I'd say it was back in the, um, back in the early 90s probably. Yeah, but when, I've I've heard a lot of stories of what, what my dad has told me and when he's grown up and as as you said yourself, like it, 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 there wasn't much opportunities for them in that area itself. It was more you finish school and... You really, yeah, that was it. Nobody really thought about I should maybe better myself and go on to tour level education and go to college. And as well, I've noticed, especially in Ballymont, there, it it's kind of reverted lately. It it was going on a, it was it was kind of on an up. I would say like uh, it, the community was good. Things are getting better, but I've noticed lately there's there's been a lot of drug related trouble in Ballymont lately, and it's. It's very noticeable, in fact, because my dad himself, he was, he used to grow up when things yeah. are bad, but he, coming from his perspective, he noticed that it was getting better, but lately it's deteriorated heavily. I suppose the drug, the drug area, I suppose, with me and your dad, from growing up, was a very small time. It was small time kind of dealers dealing to the friends or people they knew nowadays the whole drug scene is organized there's a couple of gangs run the whole drug scene um you'll have read about people in the papers etc there are a couple of people run the drug scene in ireland um, so it's very organized it's like a pyramid system it's very organized um, and in the organization they've more access now to to different drugs getting them in getting them out young people also see I think this is true too for a, a while there in Ballymore. I know we had to do work with other organisations against to 
to push the Gardaí for more underground interventions. The guards were focusing their energy and attention on bigger players in the drug scene and, and not the guys who'd be on the ground level. The, the impact of that on the community is that people see people freely dealing drugs, no guard intervention, nobody getting charged, nobody getting raided, nobody getting picked up for dealing drugs. And that type of an impression, again, just impacts on how a community feels about itself. And also impacts on the young people if they can see people actively selling drugs and then they see those people wearing nice clothes, perhaps driving cars, all of those things just create kind of challenges for young people that if they see there's money to be made that way, quick book, maybe it's something that they're drawn to. Maybe financially the family is is challenged and someone thinks that they'd be doing a helpful thing for a family to bring in extra money. So it, it's it's a risky thing for the young people. So I know we had to work with the guards um, to try to do more around underground interventions in the community and they did respond to that and there was a lot more um, action. DCC have also, Dublin Corporation have also responded to because there was a number of houses getting turned into crack houses and and what that really means is that again with the organization of the of the criminal stuff in, in drug dealing it means a criminal goes in and takes over a house they don't ask your permission they just go in and take over your house and um, anyone who's very vulnerable so or if anyone who has a drug addiction it's very easy just to get in and take over their house and start selling drugs from their house and allowing people to use the drugs while in their house um, the person can be held prisoner in their own house um, so we've worked with DCC to try to look at how they respond to people whose houses have been actively taken over so this has been actively taken over by a dealer who has no connection to that person but they just go in and take over the house kick the, kick the door in and that's it they just take over the house you've no choice in the matter so yeah it's trying to work with those other agencies to get responses because I think you're right the 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 kind of gang stuff in Ballymun, the drugs, the shootings, um, they were getting a bit regular. Yeah. Steered on back to the um kind of the what you were saying about college, uh, you said something interesting. I just wanted to get your opinion on whether do you think it's a an opportunity problem or whether it's a more of a mentality problem that people in in kind of more disadvantaged areas aren't going on to third level education and aren't really uh and getting like um I don't know how you put it kind of kind of just going into a job immediately and not trying to get the best job they possibly can or go on to college or something like that I think you're right in what you're saying I think it's both of those factors play a part um opportunity plus other mindsets um if it's not the norm again in the community you see the norm being that you just get your leaving cert and that's it that's an achievement in itself and that's it then you you just go and try and get yourself a, a manual labor type job um, that can be a mentality thing in certain families about having someone to actually no one's ever gone to college before etc financially it's expensive to go to college so for mm. certain families that's that's a huge challenge you know um, there is different grants available that we have organised now there's different grants available for people that's a help but it is still a, a challenge in terms of mindset and then can you put that financial strain on your family? Can your family cope with the financial strain of college? So I think there's a couple of things, again, would be factors in it, but definitely the two that you named would play a big part. Do you have advice to anyone who, who might be struggling? Like, what, what, what should they do if they have maybe a drug addiction? Where should they go? Where should they turn? Kind of stuff like that. 
I think there's there's lots of places there, and again, young people have great for information for accessing information online, etc. So there's lots of places, but I think but the, the thing is to go and seek help. It's very it's very difficult for people to go and ask for help. People don't people generally don't want to ask for help. I know if I'm lost, it's the last thing I'll do is ask for directions off anybody. I'll still struggle on. So people rarely ask for help. Um, again, a lot of times people who experience problems with drugs or alcohol will try to change before they go ever go near a drug service. They'll try to make changes themselves. It's the same with alcohol. Most young people will learn by experience with alcohol. It won't matter what your parents are going to tell you not to do. You'll, you'll end up making those mistakes and you'll end up trying to put down certain guidelines for yourself so you don't repeat those mistakes. Mm. So that's whole learning by experience thing. Again, for some people, those they will successfully apply those guidelines and they will manage to drink. Like the majority of people in Ireland recreationally use a drug such as alcohol and it doesn't cause them any major problems in their life. But for some people, they won't stick with those guidelines and they're going to end up repeating mistakes or repeating embarrassing things that happen to themselves. Um, the more they set guidelines for themselves and the they're not successful at achieving those guidelines, the more risk they are of their substance use becoming problematic. So it's again, it's go and get help at those points. Go and get help because sometimes it's like that, it's just a simple thing of a behavior. We'll do a bit of CBT with people um, and we look at kind of changing their behavior. We'll do a bit of, motiv- bit of motivational work to increase the importance of change. But I would say if, you, if you're beginning to experience repeated, repeated incidents, involving drugs or alcohol use where you've kind of set yourself limits and you haven't been able to stick with those limits i'd say go and get help at that point don't leave it until it gets too bad for you until you've had too many mm. too many embarrassing incidents or too many consequences mm. it's just a matter of modifying yeah i think there are different phases of like there are different phases of drug use that a person with a problem will go through like most of the most people start off with an experimental phase where they'll experiment or dabble with the substance and I suppose the easiest one to talk about is alcohol because most people have experienced alcohol. So most people start off with experimental use of alcohol and then you end up finding find, finding the one that you like, finding a drink that you like, it becomes your drink. And then you're into the kind of recreational phase of using a drug where you put money aside each week for that. You, you pick a day or two where you're going to use that alcohol, use the substance. You kind of look forward to having a few drinks with your mates, etc. It becomes part of your routine, part of your week. And that's what it said most people know and stick with that in that phase of recreational substance use. The next phase is problematic, and that's where you start to end up having continued, um, continued embarrassing episodes, continued episodes where there's consequences for your use of that substance, whether it's a physical consequence, mental consequences, emotional, family. There's consequences to your use. And the people keep having those repeated incidents keep occurring. And then the last phase is what you call is, is a chaotic phase. And that's where you're looking at physical addiction setting in for somebody where your body now begins to crave the drug and you'll go into withdrawals if you're not having the drug. So there's those four phases. I would encourage people not to wait till it gets to the physical addiction side. Try and do something when your substance use is in that problematic phase. Would you say that it mostly relates that like would the addiction mostly relate to young people or would it be any any sort of people? That's an interesting question, all right, yeah. I guess the majority of people that come into our place would be older. Although we, our service is called the Youth Action Project um, because it started off in the 80s when there was 
three young people died in Ballymun from mixing alcohol with um, what then was a kind of very heavy sedative tablet called a barbiturate tablet. They're no longer really on the market. Um, but mixing alcohol with that tablet and people overdosed and died. So the organisation that I worked for was started by local people who wanted to try and respond to what they seen happening in the area. And those local mothers and fathers began to form this response, a parent's response. And at that point, they, they mostly were giving out information to other parents about drugs in terms of signs and symptoms, what the street names are, um, that, that kind of information. And as they became more organised, um, they then began to work with young people and the name Ballymun Youth Action Project was formed so that they could respond to young people in the area. Nowadays, though, most of the people that we work with are adults. We have very few young people coming in. And the young people that we do have coming in, it would tend to be that there's been involved in, the, in crime somewhere. Some kind of criminal act has happened, whether it's been drunken, disorderly, um, whether they've been drunk in school, whether they suspect, they suspect that they've been using weed in school or outreach or something like that. Um, and they would be asked to attend our service as a way of them keeping their place in school or outreach, etc. Mm. So most of the time it's adults now that come into our service, although that does cause confusion for people. The fact the name is the Youth Action Project. Um, so it's something we've looked at. We looked at about three years ago, would we change the name or not? And at that time, the consensus was that we would keep the name for uh, for historical purposes, probably. Um, we've, we find that like most people, most people don't even really know that we're there in Ballymun. Because it's only it's only if you need a drug or alcohol service that we'll actually go looking for one and finding out about it. So yeah. I think the name is a barrier in some ways and in other ways people have still been able to find our service and still come in. Very interesting. Uh, just uh, with the people who do actually come in um, and, and you talk to one-to-one and stuff like that, would you be able to actually build up a relationship or kind of friendship with them or is it strictly kind of uh this is a job or we're not like friends really i'm just here i'm kind of helping you out that's a good question it's we you do need to form a relationship but i guess there's there's boundaries within that relationship we would need to be working to try and form some type of therapeutic alliance some type of alliance that's going to allow the person to open up about their failures their weaknesses their struggles um and to put their ego aside and talk about those areas so you would need to form an alliance because there's much more likelihood that you can influence somebody in a positive direction if that relationship is there if the person feels like you're you're judgmental you're not on their side you're against them you look down on them it's very hard to get change out of somebody who feels that way so we do need to create as workers we need to create a therapeutic alliance now that's not necessarily like what football team are you into and how many brothers and sisters do you have? It's not those types of questions, but we need to form some type of a walking alliance, a walking relationship that they can trust us enough to talk about their weaknesses, really, to reveal to reveal their true selves, those parts of ourselves that we tend to hide, um, to open that up and reveal us. We do need to form an alliance like that, but it wouldn't be where we would be meeting them outside of work hours for uh, coffee or anything like that, you know what I mean? It would be... It wouldn't happen and it would be professional in terms of it would happen in a certain position, a certain place. Like we wouldn't be talking people out on the street. We wouldn't be doing that kind of counselling work out on the street or in cafes or anything like that. 
Yeah, so we do need to form that relationship, but it's not a friend friend. Yeah, it wouldn't happen outside of work hours really. A level of contact. I think probably even just like again when we when we talk about drugs and some people get that conception when we talk about drugs where I work that we're talking about heroin and stuff like that, but heroin and crack would probably be two of the lowest drugs that would come into our place where people would come in looking for help the majority of people come into our service are looking for help with alcohol and weed really they're the two big drugs that people tend to end up having problems with it's very interesting so you, you kind of sorry craig you, you kind of hear all the all the bad stuff about uh heroin and, and crack really they, they they'd be the kind of the most addictive ones but you you kind of just pass off alcohol and uh and like marijuana is kind of just oh they're not too bad so you wouldn't really expect people to go looking for help well maybe alcohol you know there's like aa meetings and and stuff like that but um to me anyway i that that's a surprise i'd expected more people coming in looking for more i suppose in inverted commas um kind of hardcore drugs yeah that's what a lot of people would think that drug services are for what we we it's one of those things that happens in in our service of drug services are for junkies you know that kind of terminology but it's not the case the majority of the population will experience problems with alcohol uh with younger people will talk about weed as well um being a drug that will be widely used um and and quite addictive to weed the weed the whole like you call it marijuana there and there is a marijuana anonymous meeting in town there are two or three meetings set up for people who are experiencing problem with weed it, it, it's a very different drug that was out 10 years ago it's completely different it's not like hash it's not like grass would have been years ago although now it's called pollen and stuff like that it's a completely chemically manufactured product uh, very scientifically manufactured um, very scientifically grown a lot of grow houses um, you can have times i've been in now in the women's prison before and there's been a number of asian women chinese women coming in where they were all cotton grow houses and um, they would be just no words of english they'd be putting these houses and they would be looking after the growth of the, the plant managing the growth of the plant so weed yeah we have had a lot of problem people coming in with weed in 2016 but although that's that's kind of the, i suppose it's dropped down by about four percent in 2017 i don't have 2018 figures i had but there was a slight decrease in it but alcohol stays up around um probably 25 percent really of the people coming into our service Jesus. will be for alcohol related difficulties so easy to get a hold of alcohol so yeah it's very easy to get a hold of alcohol as you said and it's like the legal drugs like the the, the nicotine is the drug that kills the most people in Ireland every year alcohol is the the drug that causes the most problem in Ireland every year. Alcohol is the one that causes the most problem in hospitals, etc. And the most demand for hospital services or medical services are around alcohol. So alcohol is, is, is quite a strain on uh, Ireland in terms of financial and responding to alcohol-related problems. Even for the guards as well, alcohol would be one of their big struggles. Even as you said, for for women, etc., crimes against women, alcohol would be related in a lot of those incidents. I was just wondering, Ryan, do you, in your own opinion, do you think that weed is a gateway drug to like harder drugs like mm. heroin it's, and crack and everything? It's that? a difficult question to give you an exact answer for. I think the term gateway drug implies that you're going to move on, you're going to move on. There, there are a lot of people who do not move on. They stay smoking weed and some people manage to use it recreationally and again, it causes no problems for them. 
there are other people that run into problems with it. Um, some people do it's they experience a physical withdrawal from using weed now. Um, we have had doctors have got involved in prescribing medication to help people come off weed, uh, mostly in the in the line of sedatives or something to help them sleep. Um, because there are a number of people would experience withdrawals coming off weed. There are treatment centres now that people can go into, residential settings where people can go in for five weeks, six week periods to come off weed. Um, so I think as a gateway drug, you can't say yes, people, a person who smokes weed is going to go on and use heroin, that's just not true. But the more somebody uh, messes around with drugs, the more likelihood they will try other substances. Um, so whether it's moving on to some tablets, whether it's moving on to cocaine, there's just that risk. The more you're involved in that illegal drug scene, there's, a, there's more of a risk that you may begin to try another drug. And then the risk for, there are risks associated then with this, what we call polydrug use, where you're using a number of different substances. It's not that you just use one substance. Um, it also, it just increases the risk, I think. Again, it's like a lot of people would say, I'd never... I'd never do ecstasy, I'd never do E, and then they do E, and you're going to open a gate and you walk into a field, you know what I mean, you're, you're into another area, and then you say, I'd never do cocaine, and then you open that gate and you just do a little, a little snort of cocaine at some party, and it's just a once-off thing, you say, I'm not going to do that again, and three weeks later you're at another party, a bit of coke, you do it again, so it, it's just incremental, it kind of builds slowly, and people would normally have made these comments in their own head that they're not going to do that and then they end up doing it whether it's just the influence of people um, just not feeling great on the day whatever it is they, they, they end up kind of opening another gate and walking through that gate again so I think it can be a risk for people if you start smoking weed the risk is that you may move on or you may be more open to trying other drugs because you've been using weed and again there's the whole thing like all of these substances work on your brain all these drugs work on your brain they have to affect certain chemicals released in the brain so your decision making your judgment all of those things are impaired you most people would have experienced that with alcohol where they said oh i'm only going to go out and i'm going to have five or i'm going to go home at 10 o'clock or i'm not going to do this but once the drug is in your body and interacting with your own body parts of your brain will be impacted so your whole judgment how you make decisions that's impacted by the way alcohol works on the brain it's the same with the way weed works on your motivation weed works um, on your brain people who would normally have quite active goals in life and the drug begins to put those goals on the long finger and motivation starts to decrease it's just the way the chemicals interact with our bodies mm. would you um would you say uh, how, how big of a role would you say peer pressure has in young people engaging in drug use mm, very big i'd say although people don't like to admit it that they're influenced by their friends we're all influenced by everything. We're influenced constantly. I think the social media thing is huge in terms of um, a very on, very full 24-hour way of influencing people. Uh, fashion fashion influences people. You're all... Um, most young people will be exposed to fashion, etc. Um, so there's lots of things influencing people. So I would say we're all open to influence. Even as adults, we're open to influence. We're probably not as mm. influenced by it. We probably, in terms of that as people mature you become I guess less influenced by those around you and more influenced by your own values your own goals your own morals your own ethics I think as a young person you're still developing them 
so you're more open to influences from the outside until you find your, your kind of true your true self in the sense of terms of this is what's important to me and I'm going to stick by this even if it does upset my friends or even if it does upset other people. Do you reckon there's a, a way to kind of solve that problem of peer pressure or is that going to be a problem for for the future anyway? Um, it's, a very, it's an excellent question. I think there's a bit of research there for you guys to get stuck into, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a yeah. really good question, yeah. How can you affect... Because even then you're trying to influence people. So yeah, a, that, there's definitely different different types of influence. And Very true. Obviously, I I can't... It, it does seem a bit weird for me to be like, well, you have to do it this way, but there are levels of kind of, uh, I suppose, good influence and bad influence or kind of um whatever whatever your kind of uh your mindset is towards these things you can have what you believe is a good influence mightn't be a good influence to everyone else no that's true too yeah because you're right again you guys i think a lot of your friends are going to go to college that's a good influence you see that happening around you that becomes the norm but as you said you can also make wrong choices there yeah i was just wondering do you think that alcoholism is so rampant in Ireland because we have this like Ireland has a name for like uh, drinking and pubs and everything do you think that it's because we're not uh, renowned it's, it's but... a cultural thing in Ireland alcohol is a cultural you go to Spain or you go to Italy and it's different type of alcohol it's different type of alcohol use yeah it's really regulated over there because I know like in Spain they'll have like a glass of wine with their their uh, meal and in Italy I know from the age of like seven up or whatever it is, they they'll have a glass of wine as well with their uh, with their meal. But here in Ireland, it just seems like once you get to like the age of twelve, thirteen, you just start drinking in parks. And I don't that like to me that that's just too young. Like I don't understand where there's this culture of at the age of twelve or thirteen, you go get a few bottles and you go to the park. Like that to me, that doesn't make sense. But I was just wondering, do you think it's because we're known as like being alcohol well not alcoholics but drinkers in Ireland itself? It's a huge question, isn't it? It's a huge question, but definitely because we're Irish, it, the alcohol has a cultural impact on us that is different than French people, that is different than Italian people, that is different than Spanish people, that is different than American people too. Um, yeah, we we our relationship with alcohol in Ireland is odd all right yeah it plays a big role in our lives as you said it's part of almost that maturing process it's part of growing up that you go and you have your you get someone to get your drink or you manage to rob your drink out somewhere and you find yourself in a park drinking and that's the best thing ever the more you can drink the better you are yeah we have we have an odd relationship with alcohol i think it's changing though i do think it's changing i think it was very much a way of being as a young person i don't think it's as active now i don't think it's that i don't think it's as important as it was when i was growing up i think it's it's probably got less of an importance i also yeah. think probably now back when we were growing up you, you drank to get drunk and that was it there was no two ways about it that was the end goal i don't necessarily see that as an active line of thinking for yeah. people now that the object of drinking is to be as drunk as you can now in in my opinion it's more to like socialize nowadays like i'd i'd go to the pub or something with my mates to have a few points but more or less it's for a chat yeah 
But yeah, I think there's a good thing that there's more cinemas, there's more cafes, there's more things like that open for us. Whereas, um, as you said, it was limited in Ireland. It was the pub was the only option. If you go down the country now, there's not a lot for young people down the country. Um, they're very limited. Even certain parts of Ireland, certain counties of Ireland, their prospects of employment and stuff are very limited in some parts of rural Ireland. So it's more trickier i think down there in dublin i think there are more options for people there isn't it would you actually that's a i just thought of something there would like there is this kind of uh i don't know what would you call it a myth i don't know that p- people who would live down the country who never really experienced city life and then they'd come to dublin to go to college or something like that and they kind of i suppose again in inverted commas go wild sort of would you uh, be would you ever deal with people who who would come through that kind of come from the country and kind of got overwhelmed with city life and fell down the rabbit hole of alcohol and drugs and stuff like that um a very small minority a very small minority of the people who would be using our services would fit into that category and um, i think that's probably one of the aspects where the name would probably go wrong go wrong for us um no but there are definitely people who would struggle like that as you said struggle just socially with people when they've come up from different areas like that we would be seeing we would have had a number of polish people coming in there i suppose a couple of years ago that seems the numbers have gone down there whether there's less polish people in ireland now i'm not sure but uh, the numbers have decreased there so i think we don't have too many people coming into the ballymore youth action project who will be experiencing problems like that um i also think there's a number of different guidance counselors etc in colleges now as well that we'll try and pick up on that where possible so no i don't think so but i think one, one important aspect for us we've always seen education as something that's been important for the community but we've also seen education as something that's important within a drug service so one of the things that we do in our drug services we, we always ran educational courses to try to help communities respond to drug and alcohol use in their areas so we would have a number of different we would we would work with different communities in Loud, Limerick, um, Cork, Dundalk, different parts of Ireland we'd work with different communities in terms of educating community members to respond to to drug issues in their areas so we've always ran like community addiction studies courses um, that also has been a great way for a pathway for people in recovery that when we do actually stop using drugs that and they begin to look at develop career options for themselves or employment options for themselves and doing educational courses like that has been a, a, a pathway out of, out of drug use and into society because the, the stigma with drug use and the, if you've had criminal records from drug use it can be hard to get a job so creating pathways for people to move into employment has been important so we, have, we create our own, our own drug tra- our own training centre which is based on the top floor of the building to walk in and that training centre would run community addiction study courses. We then formed an alliance with uh, UCD. So we have a research alliance with UCD. So we would be we ran research there recently on crack cocaine, or we're still running research on crack cocaine. We would have run research on a, uh, on a drug that was quite active in, in Ballymun. Uh, Progablin is the drug, or Lyrica is the brand name that was quite active, that use of that tablet on the street. So we would have run research on that. We did research again, two years ago on weed uh, weed and young people uh, it's only weed I think was the name of that research so we'd work with UCD in terms of walking around research finding out more 
around drugs and their impact in communities. And in that alliance with UCD, then we created a, a diploma, so a level seven diploma in community drugs and alcohol work that we run in conjunction once a year with UCD. Um, and now we've just created a level nine um, in women and substance use. Uh, that's an online course. So that educational pathway that we is something that we worked on to try and create to give people a pathway of I guess taking what taking their learned life experience and actually turn it into something productive. So yeah, we've a number of different courses that we've run in our education centre. Again, just different approaches of community reinforcement approach, CRA, which will be another uh, intervention, motivational interview, CBT. We've run all them courses up in that up in that uh, education centre. Very interesting. Um we uh, in that kind of in in your job how how difficult would it be for for someone coming in who had a drug addiction and say they've they've gone clean and they're all good how how hard is it for them to kind of be integrated back into society and maybe get a job or or go back to college or get go back to school or or something like that it's, it's a big challenge it depends on how long they've been in, involved or how embedded they have become in that lifestyle it can be a big challenge um, it can also, if they've been in prison, that's, a, that's an extra layer of complication to that because they'll have criminal charges now and for a lot of jobs you need to have guarded clearance. Um, we did work a number of years ago with a few different politicians around what was called um, spent, sentencing, spent sentences, where if somebody had a, a drug conviction or a conviction like a drug related thing for um, for some of them female, it may have been prostitution, some, some kind of charge like that. Um, and that would impact them getting a job where if they were off drugs, off alcohol for a period of five or six years, no offences in that time, that those things could be wiped off um, wiped off their records. So it wouldn't be like big charges, but it would be smaller charges like prostitution, shoplifting, um, possession of drugs, different smaller charges that could be wiped off the record so that then if they did go for a job that that wouldn't come up and it it, it doesn't it doesn't tell you what the, the charge was it just says that this person has criminal offences against them and they wouldn't give them clearance so it doesn't kind of tell you how big or how small the charge is so we had to work with government bodies different senators to try and change that and it did get changed but it still doesn't seem to be but would employers kind of look at that and and kind of go oh i don't know because if it, if it does say well they've had uh, an offence would, would employers kind of take that as oh I don't know or would they look over it mo- most of the time or, and kind of just take the chance or well I say take the chance but um, it, it kinda, I suppose it is a risk for yeah it's a risk it depends on employers some employers would, would touch it with a barge post and then some employers who probably would be more socially aware and would see themselves as having a role in affecting positive change in society would take that risk would try and set something up where they could help people who haven't maybe had the greatest start in life, help them to move on in life. So there are there are definitely employers who will. We work with different employers, there are different organisations work within prisons as well to try to give people a chance to uh, engage in something more productive when they get released from prison or when they come out of a drug treatment service. So definitely there are employers who are open to that. But it, it, it's very important, like if, if you can think about people who use drugs, it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job to use drugs. 
to get money to get the drugs to continue to get money to get the drugs it's a full-time job so if people stop using drugs they have a lot of time on the hand you have a lot of time on the hand and if if nothing happens with that time if they find themselves just sitting watching daytime tv having no purpose in life no uh, no role in life no no good rewards from achieving things or getting things done if they just find themselves sitting watching tv it, it, it's probably like they're going to relapse so we would need to find things so we run a different we we run a number of programs again that we have the training center that can provide up to level seven but before people get to that place because again to start doing a level seven course or a level five course you have to start doing assignments and for a lot of people who've been in the drug scene the idea of reading writing writing articles is, is, a, is a something they hadn't done in a long time so we run a number of different programs as well that people with drug use can get involved in in terms of reducing the use programs which are um, evidence-based programs um, that would involve booklets etc so you'd have to walk through these programs addiction and change we work with the Ballingwood Adult Reading Rate Literacy because there are a number of people who will be using our services that literacy skills are, are very low and um, some people before kind of ADHD and all those things years ago that was that, that child was just labeled as a bold child and some of our service users would have had struggles like that and would have been put out of school or would have just left school early. So we still work with a number of people around their reading, their writing, their spelling, etc. Um, yeah, we run a number of different programs for people to get involved with. We've one starting now, which will be mindful yoga. And again, the reason we run that course is two, po two points to read. The meditation part is useful for people to begin to get control of their mind, control of their thinking. And then to be able to put that into practice as well, you know, so we want people to get control of their mind because if you give up drugs, you're still going to have thoughts of, of use and you're still going to get triggers about, um, wouldn't it be nice to smoke a joint now, wouldn't it be nice to get stoned now, so your mind will still keep talking to you that way, so you have to learn to control that or resist that voice in your mind or counteract that voice in your mind with a different voice. And we also could have recently started working with the GPs. Ballymore. We did a piece of research around Valium and different benzos with GPs in Ballymore and ended up creating a walking alliance with them. So sometimes now when people arrive at the GP practices in Ballymore, rather than prescribing medication, they'll actually suggest they come over to us and look at maybe a talking therapy intervention or we run a number of different holistic responses such as massage, reflexology, uh, Reiki, so a number of different services like that, acupuncture. That kind of help people manage stress rather than going down the line of medication or can help people to deal with grief rather than again going down the line of medicating every kind of feeling or every uh, every uncomfortable sensation we have so that's been important for us working with the GPs because like that there have been a number of drug users that have medical problems that the GPs for us have been great they've responded they've come over to our centre and seen people in our centre rather than as a, as a helpful thing so it's a good alliance to have working with the medical end of it so even when it comes to uh, people use with alcohol problems will present at a GP rather than a drug service they won't want to go to a drug service again so the GPs can prescribe Librium for an alcohol detox they can prescribe antibodies and then we can provide the, the kind of psychosocial interventions to give people a better chance of being successful with that detox um i'm just uh, thinking like with you said at the start you go into uh you go into prisons uh was mm. it mountjoy prison 
we work in all the prisons in Dublin really yeah but we work in we, we, we visit prisoners in all the prisons in Dublin so Mount Joy, Weefield, Clover Hill the Dolcus prison we work in all them ones but we do deliver a, we're involved in a programme Mount Joy drug treatment programme so the likes of Philly McMahon is in there he, he's doing his own kind of programme around uh, change and physical health well, we would walk in the in the medical unit in Mount Joy program in prison which is a, a drug treatment program so you'd have nine prisoners going through it every seven weeks um, Part they'll have done a detox in the prison beforehand a medically medically supervised detox from whether it's tablets whether it's heroin uh, weed cocaine whatever they would do it because they would do a detox there's a lot of drugs in prison um, the drugs in prison cost more than they cost on the outside so there's quite a lucrative market for drugs in the prison setting. Um, so yeah, we would work with prisoners who do that drug treatment program. Yeah. And would your would your kind of a, approach to the prisoners be different to the people who would come into the centre, or would it be the the same kind of program that you're doing, or or the same kind of approach? The, the content would be the same. The content would be same, similar to what we use out on the outside, but there will be a different dynamic. Would be a different dynamic in the group because it's an all-male group um, in prison uh, it's much it's more difficult for people to be open in prison because if you reveal something about yourself in prison and it goes again and people start talking about it in prison it, it can make you very vulnerable so in prison it's for men in prison it's very they're very cautious about letting the prison face down you have to keep your prison face there up because if you let your prison face down, it's very easy to get bullied. It's very easy to get intimidated. And you wouldn't want to be doing jail time like that where people are just abusing you like that. So you have to keep up your prison face. So that way, that dynamic is more difficult. Where we might be, say, on the outside, we will be encouraging people, I guess, to look at the effects of the drug and alcohol use. Um, if they have been a parent, I guess we're going to look at that emotional discrepancy between being a parent and being a drug user we're going to open that area up because we, we need to challenge people to change so we need to create a conflict in people where they begin to argue against that voice that says to them use the drug use the drug we have to create a conflict in the person so um in prison we have to be cautious with creating that conflict we can't fully do that as much as we would do on the outside because the prisoner finishes the group and they're locked back up for two hours you know they get back out then for a couple more hours and they're locked back up from seven o'clock till eight o'clock so it's a lot of time in the cell by yourself and if you're feeling if you're feeling pretty guilty or pretty bad about what you've done it, it, there's a risk there so we have to be cautious about the levels that we we go to in a prison group probably on the outside we can go a bit further because we have people we would look at people's support maps before they would engage in activities like that and we would know that there is support available to people if they feel down like they can get on the phone to people etc etc in a prison a prisoner isn't really going to ask a prison officer for help because that would just be seen as not a done thing to do so we have to be careful about the levels we go to in that type of a, a group work scenario yeah so it is a bit different that way it's just it's not the content is different but i guess the, the level of depth we'll go to and we'll always be watching the dynamic in a group we have to keep watching the dynamic in a group in terms of what's happening so yeah so it's different it is very different and again the fact it's all male whereas we, we run the same groups in Ballymun and you'd have male and female and 
and the males will even learn from the females talk about emotions etc like that so it, it, it's good that way to have a mixed group we don't have that in the prison oh man going off the kind of uh, males and females would you say there's uh, much of a difference in the people who are co- come out the end of the program and kind of are, are uh, I don't know kind of I don't know how you'd say it, kind of reformed or kind of uh, clean now off drugs or off whatever they were using yeah, I think you're opening up a big area like the idea of recovery what is recovery is a recovery a destination or is it a journey you know um, for a lot of people recovery is an ongoing process it's not something that you do a six week program and that's it you're done and dusted and off you go you know it's a, it's a continual process um, we work with people who have given up alcohol and they would they may have left our services but they pop back in because they've got a wedding coming up or they've got a holiday coming up um, and they don't want to drink at that but they know they're going to be under pressure to drink and they have to come up with kind of safety plans for themselves about how they're going to manage those episodes um, so the the idea of being recovered it's an ongoing process I think for people and there's this a particular kind of group of people who will see that they need to be completely absent they need to give up every drug they need to give up alcohol even if their problem was heroin they need to give up alcohol if their problem was crack they need to give give up alcohol weed that they need to live a life of complete abstinence from any of those substances there are other people that may have run into problems with cocaine and weed um, and they may give up those two substances but they may continue to drink um, and they have to be kind of just managing their own use of alcohol that doesn't become problematic use again that they haven't just substituted one drug for another drug and they still have the same problems in life so it's different like that so the whole thing of recovery is is an ongoing thing i think for people i was just wondering sorry if do you find that there's a higher percentage of people staying clean if they come off everything like alcohol every type of drug or if they as you said if someone was on cocaine if they gave up cocaine but still stuck with uh alcohol do you think that there's a higher percentage if they come clean off everything or carry on uh with one thing if you give up every substances, you're probably less at risk of running into problems with substances because you're not using any at all. So I think it's a challenge then for people who try to give up, say, cocaine but continue to drink. Uh, one of the challenges there is that when you when you actually use both those drugs together, you produce a, like this, the chemical in, in alcohol is ethanol, there's another chemical in cocaine. Um, but when you use those two substances together, they combine and create a tort chemical called cocaethanol. So that in itself has a different effect than cocaine by itself and a different effect than alcohol by itself. So there's kind of three chemicals that work there in the body at that time. So if you give up just the cocaine and you continue to drink, once you're drinking, you're still kind of activating those responses in our brain for the, for the other process. So I think there's more at risk of you developing problems. But it's not always the case. Some people manage to give up those drugs that cause them problems and use alcohol successfully without any other problems itself. It can happen and I've seen people give up other drugs and just go on to weed and stay smoking weed and not run into too many problems with weed either. So I think everyone has to find their own pathway. Mm. Do you, would you see a difference in the the way you approach uh, kind of uh, like women and men? Would there be a difference in the, in the, the content that, that you'd um, put on them? No, the content, again, I suppose we're, we're looking at the direction the direction that we're trying to do is this conflict we're all trying to create this internal conflict constantly in people 
um, we want the behavior to conflict with something whether it's the values the morals the health the mental health the family look we need that substance use we need that behavior to conflict with something else inside the person and we need the person to begin to argue for change rather than saying oh it's only a few drinks it's only weed it helps me relax with that if that's the type of stuff that we're getting our person's mouth it's very unlikely that they're going to change so we have to uh, strategically work with people and again this is what our counseling training will have us doing we have to strategically work with people to get them to argue for change where they are coming into us and saying i have to stop we need to get off it and um, it's causing too much problems they're the type of language that we want out of the person so i don't i i, I don't think there's necessarily a difference between men and women there there are different the conflicts might be different inside them for women again a lot of time the parenting thing is, is huge for them and um, the value of being a mother that's quite large um, their health etc so they're, they're, again we're just looking for whatever we can find that creates that internal conflict because that's like what we call the engine of change that would be what will drive the person towards change um, and that's the one that we would that would be we would target and we would try and work with and that's what we would keep the conversation on um, in a sense uh, as a, as a counselor what what would you find is probably the hardest part of change is actually accepting that you have a problem and that you have to take that on board and try and change it in yourself or is it something else like what what do you find yourself from because i know you said you only have a, a small case on hand of like a few people that you're dealing with at the minute what do you find is the, the hardest part of change in a nutshell is the whole team yeah because well really most people would know their, their know themselves that their use of drugs is, is a problem we wouldn't really need to argue that with people because um we can get that out people as counselors we are trained so we can get people to see the downsides of their substance use anyone who smokes drugs anyone who smokes cigarettes say they, they actively know the health problems they know the medical problems because of advertising again to a lesser effect alcohol but anyone who's using an illegal an illegal substance will know that there's problems associated with an illegal substance whether it's criminology etc so people are aware of those consequences but they're also aware if the drugs work if drugs and alcohol didn't work people wouldn't use them so they're they're usually ambivalent they're usually caught between two stools on the one hand it's causing me problems and on the other hand it helps me so people are caught with that dilemma themselves and i guess as counselors then we will kind of we will strategically work to to tip the weighing scales in the direction of change but we're not gonna we wouldn't be coming in trying to um force the person to change because if you start pushing somebody towards change and this will have happened family families will do this families will be the first ones that start those conversations about change you know they'll have seen the changes in the person that they love and they'll, they'll be the ones that start to argue with the person about their behavior but once you start arguing with someone like that what tends to happen is the person starts defending the behavior so um, they'll start coming up with what we would call sustained talk which is language on keeping the problem behavior going so it'll be language like it's only a few joints it's only a few drinks with my mates I'm not. see that's the way i see you know i thought that a lot of people would be in denial that as you said it, it's it's only a few points it's only like a joint or something i thought that a lot of people wouldn't have actually like looked within themselves and actually thought oh shit, i actually do have a problem 
but I would have thought that they would have just took it. Uh, well, they would have been in denial with their problem itself. The denial thing is like, is that a condition of people, or is that something that happens when they begin to talk to somebody? And our our belief would be that that's probably something that happens when they start talking to somebody. That it's not in their head; they constantly believe that. It's just that when they begin to talk to somebody about it, that's the that's the language that comes out of mouth. But that language is because usually they're protecting something or they're defending something. And if you're defending something, again, it's because people are going after it. People are attacking the counselor or the worker is attacking something. So the client starts to defend it. So strategically, we need to come at it differently. So we wouldn't necessarily go after attacking. The, we would normally start off the first type, the first kind of, um, the, the, the first thing we would ask about is what do you like about the drug? Tell us how it helps you. Tell us how it's been of help to you. That's the way we would start the conversation. And we would kind of hold the conversation on that part to try that part out before we'd move the conversation to a different area, such as what about the downsides to this drug? Um, tell me about what's been happening that hasn't been helpful. And we would move it over there. So um, I guess that, again, you're looking at kind of a counselor's training which has to have a theoretical background behind it, but also you have to look at the skills that are used then in conversations, etc. So, yeah, denial, we, we would see denial just as a, if that's happening, it's usually, it's usually a dynamic of what's happening in the relationship or the conversation. So we would try to have that. If, if our starting point is that the, the substance use has benefits and cons, we can start to talk, we can spend time looking at both areas and allow the person then to make their own choice about what's the best course for them. And I think like, although people know that drugs and alcohol probably isn't helpful for them, um, for example, you can ask a person about cigarette smoking on a scale of one to 10, how important is it for you to change? A lot of time people say it's, it's a nine, it's an eight, it's a 10. If you know smokers in your life, they'll, they'll they won't want to be smoking. But if you ask them how confident they are that you can stop on a scale of one to ten, they'll probably go two or three. And if they're not if they're not confident that they can change, they won't they won't take on that chance of change because they're gonna fail again. So even asking a simple question like that for us as a worker can tell us what areas we need to work on. We don't need to increase the importance of change, we just need to work on the, the confidence to change them. They're simple kind of simple questions, but they tell us they give us information as workers as to what we should be spending time looking at when uh, when people first come in and they're they're looking for help how how willing are they to change or how willing are they to kind of open up to you and and really sort of kind of engage in the in the acts that you're or engage in the program i think i find that people are, are willing to change they want to change a lot of time um it's just the difficulties changing for people like um if, if you think about it like we can I know when we run different training courses, probably one of the first questions we'll ask is what are the obstacles to change? But in their experience of talking to people, what are the obstacles to change? People will list a huge list of obstacles to change. That could be family dynamics. It could be because your brother uses drugs, your sister uses drugs. Maybe your mother's sitting at home drinking every day. Uh, maybe you have low education. Maybe you have low self-esteem, low self-confidence. Um, all of those obstacles to change, you know, they're all there. Just stopping using the drug doesn't necessarily get rid of all those obstacles. So people can be willing to change, but just see it as a very difficult thing to do. And may even if, if again, 
And you talked about that kind of process of addiction, like where you'd move from experimental to recreational to problematic and onto kind of chaotic drug use. For people who have traveled that pathway, like you guys are friends now, if you begin to have a friend who's causing trouble when they're going out drinking and is always causing hassle with the group, you begin to stop calling that person and letting them know you're going out, you know what I mean? Because this is too much hassle when they're around or when they're drinking. So the person who is having that problem will begin to lose their close friends and will end up more with people who do the same thing as they do because the behavior then is the norm. So if there's one character in the group who's constantly getting drunk and puking everywhere and causing fights everywhere you go, you tend to start letting that person slide, put them on the long finger and let's not let them know we're going. And that person who's doing all that then tends to end up with other people who do the same thing. So when they decide to stop using drugs or drink them, they find that they don't really have any friends. Um, so that giving up drugs can be very lonely like that. It can also push them to try and how do you make new friends when you have no friends that don't use the same thing, they don't do drugs, they don't think how do you make friends with people like that. So there are lots of challenges to, to giving up drugs. Although people could be willing to do it, there are still lots of challenges for how you do it. Uh, like come sorry coming from like that like perspective uh like as you said if it was us if we have a friend that's going out and he's getting too rowdy and too sick should we pull them up on that issue as a friend or should we leave them on the long finger like what should we do um i think yeah you should talk about it i think this is again where if you go at like depends on how you do it if you go in like all heavy-handed listen man you're, you're running the muck you're causing a hassle everywhere and you the person begins to say to listen would you go away or that you're doing the same or sure i'm not as bad as such and such if again that's the language that they're coming out and that's that denial thing that you called um or it could be minimizing there's a number of different responses a person will give there if again they're feeling attacked or they're feeling judged that way so creating the atmosphere to have a conversation where a person can I guess acknowledge that their behavior hasn't been great or isn't helpful or could be problematic for them if they don't do something about it that's the i guess that's the conditions you want to try and create in the conversation rather than going in kind of all heavy-handed and you're a waste or you're causing more hassle if you so i guess you, you need to be careful that you don't create that denial you don't create that stance that a person has where they begin to defend their behavior or defend their drinking because the more they hear themselves saying it's not that bad the less likelihood they're going to change you know so i think it is important to talk about them you talk about it with people but try to create an atmosphere where the person can't hear what you're saying and not get all defensive about it and i guess talk about your concerns rather than what the person is doing because again people feel blamed or they feel attacked so if you can talk about listen this is as a mate of yours this is what worries me this is what concerns me Um, when i see this happening to you i i get upset watching it or i get concerned i get worried about your future if that continues that type of approach might get you a better outcome than going in kind of you're a dope you're a muppet that kind of stuff yeah would you say there is a problem with that would you say um pe people going in heavy-handed kind of uh, like more accusing people rather than kind of showing them their concern would you say that's a problem with people not coming and, and seeking help kind of going well oh they're just uh they're just kind of bullying me or they're kind of uh kind of singling me out or and and then would they be more likely than not to go or or is that a is that a dynamic even 
No, you, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The way you, you phrased that was excellent, yeah. Yeah, people being felt like they're being picked on, they're being forced to do something. It's very unlikely that person will change if that's the sense they have because they're going to defend. They're going to feel bullied or pressured or coerced into something and they're going to defend that action. So, yeah, if that's the method, you're probably not going to have a good outcome. And that will probably be the method that families will take. Families will tend to go in uh, very much authoritarian in the conversation, especially with a young person. Um, and that doesn't tend to have good outcomes in terms of what they're trying to achieve, you know. Um, so I think, again, have it getting there. Look, I know we've got a woman and a man booked in for 10 o'clock on Monday morning. Um, this is a wife and her husband. The wife is very concerned about the husband's use of cocaine and alcohol. He's not that bothered about it at the moment, she says. But again, I guess that's because of the way she has tried to have conversations with him about change. That he's he's responded that way because she's trying to he sees her trying to force him into doing something. That so when when the two of them sit down on Monday morning, you know, I'll ask her to talk about what she sees that worries her. I'll ask her to talk about and I'll try to be listening for any type of area where he begins to agree with her and that's the area that I'll try to develop for him to become more open to that side of his behaviour that is causing problems mm. yeah but I think families families tend to go in all heavy handed they want to see the person change they don't want they don't want the person to continue doing what they're doing but the approach to the conversation tends to be that very confrontational very demanding and I think the the, the the person that they're trying to impact change on their concerned their substance user they'll tend to defend that very much and it won't be a good outcome the conversation the hope of the conversation the aim of the conversation won't turn out the way they hope it will turn out mm. oh, would you say a kind of family and a support system maybe friends or something would be integral to that that road to recovery or that 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 journey that yeah, that people would be going on. It's a really important ingredient in it, really important. There's a lot of research out there that if someone who's going to take on a, a change process that has a good support system, then there's a good there's a good chance they'll be successful. But it's important we work with the family because the family can be expecting a lot of the person. They can expect things to go back to the way they were very quickly. And that it's not that time. It takes time. So sometimes the family, in trying to help, can put more pressure on the person. So we do need to work with the family as well around their expectations. Even sometimes we need to work with families around how they communicate with each other. Mm. We would have family support groups in that where we would look at um, communication stores within the family system, expectations, uh, etc. We would do couple sessions with people again because if, if they have a, a partner who's that who's a great support, that can go a long way, you know. And if they have a partner who's very critical of them and um, very criticizes a lot that's probably not helpful you know you're going to end up making yeah. person feel bad about themselves or something would you say that uh, the, the like the kind of the time it takes to recover would that be would that put people off ever like kind of the people get impatient that it's it's not happening as quickly as they'd like it to yeah i think like i've never worked with anybody who wanted to grow up to be a drug addict or an alcoholic they never ever worked with anyone that, that said that was a goal yeah. of theirs as a child you know um People just fall into problems with drugs and find themselves then struggling to get out of it. So I think, uh, what was your original question there? 
It was a. Would you I say want, people want were like quick? I want the faster. Yeah. The, are are they put off by the time it takes yeah. to to kind yeah. of sort themselves yeah. out? People want to change quickly, so sometimes we have to slow people down. It can it can feel a bit ethically wrong for us as workers to slow people down, but sometimes we need to slow people down because the desire for change is very strong without people realizing the, practic the, the practical difficulties of it. So sometimes speeding up medications such as methadone, speeding up the detox process um, is more detrimental than helpful. Although the intention is there and the intention is great, we have to kind of manage that level of motivation, but we also need to talk to the persons about our concerns, about speeding up the process, reducing medication quicker, etc. those types of things. But yeah, the desire for change is always is, is there for people, I think. Again, I th I, as I said, I don't think I've ever met anyone that wanted to grow up to be a drug addict or an alcoholic, you know. So if they never wanted that to happen for them, that's an area of motivation I can, I can use as a worker. Yeah, and I think, like, we do have, we have, as I said, we have a number of different programs in the app. So we give out certificates for people who have done them programs as an acknowledgement, like they've whatever it was, attended, a number of attended sessions or that they completed the work that was required to get the certificates. But we also run recognition events and we run them as a way of acknowledging the efforts that people have put into change and even the courage that it shows to change, uh, to acknowledge the struggle of change. And, and they're very simple things. Sometimes we're just giving out a, a stone that has a word written on it. Sometimes we're just giving out a key ring. But it's to acknowledge the work that people are putting in um, in one-to-one -one sessions, in group work, etc. Well, there's no certificates or anything like that for attending, but we do want to acknowledge because it's important to, it's important to acknowledge the efforts of change. Yeah, it's important to do that. So yeah, we run them recognition events regularly as well as 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 side alongside certificate presentations for people that have done courses or completed different programs. We have a we have a six-month program, a boxing clever program that we run with. A number of different organizations in the community that's been quite successful so that involves it's a five day a week program so it involves being in the we used to we tried it with football first of all we tried it as a football program but we struggled to get female involvement in it so now we changed that to boxing it's not that they box each other but they just use boxer size as the physical activity so they might be sparring all right but now we've been putting a ring with each other so they would be in the they would be in the gym mondays and fridays and um, walking out We'd have a, a guy with Joe who would have had his, would have had addiction problems himself. Two guys that would have had addiction problems themselves, and they they run the classes first that way. And then on a Tuesday they'd be in DCU, and they'd be doing study skills in DCU, etc. On Wednesday they'd be doing an addiction studies course, and on Thursday they'd be doing health related fitness, uh, FTAC level five or QQI level five. So that's a five day a week program that we run. Um, six months of the year you know uh, that's quite successful but it, it's again it's, it's the link of having physical activity because we'll we'll then get them uh we'll get the money for gym membership we'll get half the fee for gym membership so like i think to use the gym in the value month is 30 euro a month for people but we'll get them 15 euro a month with the whole idea of increasing physical activity that the impact of physical exercise can have the benefits of that but also giving them a place to go giving them a structure um, and, 
and that seems really helpful too yeah brilliant that's that's really good work you're doing there we'll finish it up then now so um is there anything else you want to say brian um no again no i think it's a great thing that you guys are doing um so it's delighted to be asked to be on it and if there's any other way i can kind of help in the future feel feel free to ask yeah of course, oh, we will. We'll be in touch. Uh, do you have a, a website or anything that people should uh, should go and check out, see if they can uh, help out in any way? Or even if maybe they know someone who's struggling with addiction who can uh, maybe maybe come and, and, and have a talk with you? Yeah, and I think that one of the one of the advantages for us of having a trainer, like we used to be based in, in a block of flats in Ballymun, and the, the benefit of being based in a block of flats was it was very confidential because once you walked into that block, nobody knew where you were going. So now we're in a standalone building, like we've a four-story building in Ballymun. Um, so whatever, now everyone knows if you go in that door, it's because of drug or alcohol. So that in itself, that stigma is, is, is alive and active. But that's one of the benefits of having the training centre in the building is that people can come in looking to access one-to-one services. But if they bump into people, they can say, oh, I was doing a course there about addiction or I was finding out information about a friend of mine who's interested in doing a course or learning about addiction. So I think, yeah, the website is... Uh, byap.ie it's also on facebook and twitter um as well under the ballymun youth action project but i think if there's the two aspects there you mentioned if somebody was experiencing difficulties with drugs or alcohol and wanted a bit of support around it or if people were thinking about a career in the field as well there's pathways there in terms of uh, level seven courses etc level nine courses if they were considering a career in drugs or alcohol work yeah brilliant right uh well, it, it's been an absolute honour to have you on as our, our first guest. And, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, well, we'll hope to get you back on in the future. and uh, Maybe we'll be, well, hopefully we'll be a little bit bigger, get a few questions in for you and um, get get some, some questions from people who listen to us yeah, for great. you to ask you. And yeah, that'll be, that'll be brilliant. So thanks a million. And again, if you ever want to... Thanks very much, Brian. ...try and talk to somebody who has come through the whole drug and alcohol thing or out the other side, give me a shout. I'm sure I could find people that will be willing to engage with you. That'll be brilliant. I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch and we'll try and get that sorted. All right, good luck, guys. And thanks for having right, me on. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thanks very much, Brian. Thanks. thanks.